None of us can do this on our own. And so it's really through partnerships and working across boundaries and finding those differences as much as our commonalities to tackle some of the bigger challenges that we're facing. People are doing this out of love. We don't talk about that very much, but that's why people are in this business, because they love nature, they love a particular place, they love a particular species or type or birds or something. They, it's a human attachment to something. My biggest goal is imagining somebody 200 years or 300 years from now, like thinking, I'm so glad they did this. I'm so glad that they had the foresight to do what is not possible to do today. You're listening to Climate Hot Seat with Amanda Sesser. Welcome to the first episode of Climate Hot Seat. I'm your host, Amanda Sesser. This podcast isn't designed to debate whether climate change is real or if it's being caused by humans. The scientific consensus around the world is that climate change is already occurring and will increase in the future. Humans have a part in creating climate change by emitting greenhouse gases that get trapped in the Earth's atmosphere. So now that we have that out of the way, what Climate Hot Seat is about is taking a look at what individuals, communities, governments, and organizations from around the world are doing to manage and adapt to climate change impacts. People are using innovation, creativity, and outside-the-box thinking to solve problems caused by global environmental change. Climate change is linked to social justice issues and extreme poverty. So solutions that work tackle both social and environmental challenges to find outcomes that support both people and the planet. Thanks to everyone for listening, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. I'm also hopeful that Climate Hot Seat becomes a place to exchange new ideas and perspectives on how we can make a difference in our collective future. Without further ado, here's my recent interview with Mike Durglow. Enjoy. I am sitting here with... Mike Durglow, Salish Kootenai Tribe, Northwest Montana. I first met Mike at the last National Adaptation Forum, which was in St. Louis in 2015. And I listened to Mike talk about the work that he did with the Blackfoot Tribe and the partners at the Crown of the Continent partnership. And Mike had just finished his tribal adaptation plan and was pretty excited to share it with the group. So yeah, that was in 2015. And since then, um, we can like continue to have a climate change advisory council or committee, I guess. And we meet on a monthly basis and, uh, you know, basically trying to figure out how to implement the plan. I've, I've told a lot of people, it's like, uh, developing the plan was the easy part. <laughs> now, implementation, and that's, you know, it, really that's true because, I mean, it's gonna take a lot more money, a lot more uh, personnel, capacity, you know, we just don't have the capacity. So each, each sector that we have in a plan, um, what we're having the, the uh, program folks in those sectors is identified needs. So then we, we help them uh, search for funding or, you know, try to build that capacity. But one of the most awesomest things I think uh, that has come out of this whole process uh, is a, an Eagles program that my brother and I came up with to help us try to get the youth on the reservation more engaged in climate change and just engaged in doing things um, that were, you know, basically science 
not just science, but out in the field, you know. So we're working with Salish Kootenai College um, and all the, the high schools and grade schools. The, the, the Eagles program is Environmental Advocates for Global and Local Ecological Sustainability. That's a mouthful. Say that 10 times fast. But uh, what we did, uh, I had some funding left over uh, from another grant that I used uh, to start the program in four schools on the reservation. And I went to the schools and asked, the, I told the kids, you know, this is an idea that we have, uh, but really it's going to be your you know, your thing. You got, you guys will be the ones that, you know, do whatever you think is right or whatever you guys want to do. I have some money. So they, what they first did, did or done, (laughs) did, was um, they did a needs assessment in the whole, the whole school. So they went, and, and the program is, I wanted to include every, you know, from kindergarten through 12th grade and beyond. So I'm working with Salish Kootenai College, working with other colleges in the area to try to get, you know, it'll be uh, like my daughter, who's very engaged in doing recycling stuff. Um, she'll be going to college next year. So the ones coming up after her in high school now, uh, and, and hopefully she'll keep it going in college so that they, the kids that are graduating from high school now, they'll say, oh, I know Mariah. She's going to college at Salish Community College, and she was in the Eagles program, so, you know, let's keep this going. Anyway, um, so the, the kids went to each classroom and said, uh, and asked, you know, uh, the teachers, like, what type of recycle bin do you want? They didn't say, do you want to recycle, <clears throat> right? So they said, what kind of ty- recycle bins do you want and how many? So they went through the whole school and um, so each of the four schools, I bought recycle bins and I bought um, enclosed cargo trailers. They're like um, eight by 12 cargo trailers. They're so that they can put their recyclables in the trailer. Um, so they went through and got um, the aluminum cans, plastic, paper, and cardboard. Um, after that, we well, at, when I talked about the Eagles program with the kids, when we first went to the school, I said, okay, we, we're going to do this Eagles thing. If you want to join in, that's great. And I said, we're going to have a logo contest. And the winner of the logo contest gets an iPad mini or iPad slim. So that was cool. Everybody. And then, you know, it was like uh, kind of like the Pied Piper because I, when I first came in to, uh, to kind of do the recruitment meeting, I, I had like 20 pizzas. <laughs> so I'm like, you know, the Pied Piper or whatever, going down the hallway with all these 20 pizzas carrying them, and here's all these kids following me, you know? <laughs> You're bringing in some incentive. Yeah. <laughs> so cool, let's go have some pizza with Mike, right? Um, so that's kind of where we got started. And, and then, uh, you know, we did the logo contest. Every, every school had a con, they have their own logo. Um, uh, this last year, we got more funding from BIA to bring on four more schools. And then we we had uh, the Arley School and the St. Ignatius School this year uh, won the, the Montana Smart School Award in Recycling. So they both got uh, a $1,000 check from the lieutenant, well, the, the state. 
the lieutenant governor came and presented the kids with uh, with their checks. So that was pretty awesome. And last year, R. Lee was the only school that got that, and well, that was doing the Eagle stuff. But they um, recycled over 14,000 pounds of, you know, stuff. That's quite an honor to have the lieutenant governor come out and recognize the kids. Yeah. Last year, the governor came. <laughs> but he, he, the lieutenant governor also came um, on, on this day last week. It was like we had uh, our second annual muscle walk. So last year, <laughs> I, we had this idea because we, we, we uh, zebra and quagga mussels, we don't want them. Um, well, they're in the state of Montana now, but we don't want them on our, on our reservation or, or on Flathead Lake. So last year we started the first annual muscle walk with the kids. So they just uh, get them together. We, we talk about what we're looking for, what kind of muscles, and then we take them out on the lake to boat ramp areas. And they just, you know, go in, in uh, turn over rocks and, and collect samples and stuff. So it's a, it's a lot of fun, and we're, out, we're um, looking for, you know, invasive species also. Are you finding many zebra mussels? We haven't found any. Thank that's, God. that's great. So, but now you know yeah. that they're not there, or, or at least you haven't found them yet. Right. It, it's we, we've been doing um, eDNA samples also, and microscopy sampling. So we're doing all, you know, that with the sampling in the water column, plus muscle walks, and, and just getting that. So last year uh, was the first year I had it. I had like 15 kids. This year we had 60. Next year, we're going to have 120, I told the governor. Wow. And are the kids involved in any of the eDNA and water sampling as well, or just the muscle walks? Just the muscle walks so far. Uh, part of the Eagles program uh, that I'm putting together for this summer. So we're going to have monthly activity stuff. So I want to bring them up to Glacier Park. Uh, my dad, who was he worked in the preservation office, they did some uh, core sampling in the glaciers. To look, you know, to uh, do some sampling and see what the glacier, what's going on with the glacier. So I want to bring them up there, and then also to uh, Flathead Lake Biological Station, where they do the the uh, analysis of the eDNA sampling and a microscopy. So we'll bring them there. Now they can, you know, I don't know if we'll be able to bring them out on a boat, but they can look and see how. They just don't take the samples on a boat. They can do it, you know, along the shore. And then they can interact with the scientists yeah. and so forth at the research laboratory. So that's the whole, you know, our whole goal with the Eagles program is to get them engaged, um, you know, in recycling and climate stuff, but also with um, different programs like the lands or, or a division of lands in terrestrial uh, invasive species. So they're not looking at just aquatic invasives, but terrestrial. We're sending them out with... Uh, like the wetlands conservation program to do some restoration stuff. So anything they're interested in, and it's it's everything from uh, wildlife biology to nurse, you know, the what the nurses are doing. How does climate change impact human health? So you know, those uh, asthma and all that stuff. So trying to get them hooked up with, um, you know, the, in the fields that they're interested in. So it seems almost like you're providing uh, mentoring and, and guidance and, a, and an insight into a potential future career. Right. And the, the mentoring is 
we're, we're I'm, I wanted to make it like so the middle school kids are going to mentor the grade school kids, the high school kids mentor the middle school kids, the college kids mentor the high school kids that are coming into college. So it's going to be a multi generational. That's what I'm hoping. And the other thing that's really exciting <laughs> is uh, I'm the the chairman of the Regional Tribal Operations Committee. That's Region 8 EPA, which is North and South Dakota, Montana, Wyoming, Colorado, Utah. 27 tribes in the region, and I'm sharing the Eagles program, and a lot of them are interested. I've already went to Blackfeet. Uh, we're starting a program up there, and I'm also on the National Tribal Science Council. So I want to share it nationally, and my dream, my hope is that next year, and I'm on the planning committee for the National Adaptation Forum, so I'm talking to them and saying, hey, we need to have a youth track at this forum next year. So I told them I would volunteer to chair that committee that we can have a youth you know, forum or a youth track during the National Adaptation Forum. I think that's gonna be really important. We heard from some youth this morning that uh, were very engaged, very excited about what they were doing, but felt like they didn't have a voice. So that, that's, I guess, the legacy that I, you know, I don't know, it's funny back home. Um, I served on the Housing Board of Commissioners for like 12 years. And, and sometimes, like, on the reservation, I don't know if this happens elsewhere, but sometimes they'll name a road after somebody that, you know, kind of a prominent. So there's, like, Joe Dog Road or Bearhead or uh, Swainy Drive or whatever, or even a home site area that's named after somebody. And it's like... I don't want no road named after me. I don't want no home site named after me. I, I want my grandchildren and my great-grandchildren and, and them to say, you know what, my papa started this. And this is, you know, this is still going. It, I want it to be international. The kids are uh, actually Skyping with Sami kids um, and uh, Australia the, the kids in Australia, so we're already starting to make that connection internationally. Yeah, so that they're pretty excited about that. That's pretty incredible because you just started this program a year and a half ago on your reservation, and now you're taking it transcontinental. Yep. So, yeah, that's, <laughs> you know, it kind of gives me the chills. I just, it's just thinking about it, and, um, you know, hopefully, and, and you know what really is the kids are going to make the, the, the difference and I mean they are if you look at uh, Dakota Access Pipeline who started that whole thing the kids the kids ran from Rapid City to to uh, Washington DC and then there was another one I can't remember it was like the kids were the one that started that whole thing uh, so you know they're they're the ones that are gonna change the world they're gonna save the world you know they absolutely are and 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 hope you know they need to save it, right? Because we're not doing a great job. And so it's really up to the next generation to, to get us out of this mess. What I like about the Eagles program, you know, one is its simplicity. You're not trying to save the world all at once. You're going to some schools, setting up a recycling program, bringing in mentoring, the, the muscle walk. It seems simple, and it is, but what it's doing is developing a conservation and a stewardship ethic within these young people 
who want to take care of the land, who feel some ownership and some responsibility for taking care of the land, for passing it down to their children someday in a form that's better than what what they got it from from their parents. Right. So part of the plan, if you look at the brochure, I have this little diagram. So in the diagram, there's a garden, there's a greenhouse, there's a canning uh, shed or whatever to teach um, the teach people in a community how to to uh, plant and process and preserve, and it's just not it's just not like corn and beans and carrots. It's some of our indigenous foods. It's some of our first foods. Like uh, I over here, I have a camas pit. So teaching people how to um, to gather and to take care of the camas, and then we have you know. Uh, traditionally we buried that canvas in the ground and then built a fire on top so we're teaching them how to do that so you know some of that stuff has been lost but there are we still try to maintain and um, you know keep keep that the cultural connectivity in with the kids and stuff so teaching them how to do that kind of thing so it's all you know preservation how to preserve the food um, how to process it uh, that's all, the whole part of the plan that's really important work. Yeah, uh, it's funny because when I interviewed the elders uh, to, you know, help with the climate change strategic plan, uh, this one lady from Elmo, uh, she was kind of hesitant about me coming to her house and interviewing her and talking about climate change. And so we visited for, uh, I don't know, about a couple of hours. And then, you know, I said, thank you, blah, 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 and I left her house. And then it was like a couple months later, I saw this lady in Walmart. And she about come running up to me and she's like, Mike, 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 uh, after you left my house, I thought of so many things that I want to tell you. And I, she said, can you come back? I said, yeah, I can come back anytime. So, you know, I was, um, you know, life is life you know and I got busy and I never uh, never got back to her right away and a couple weeks later she passed away oh. yeah oh, that's heartbreaking it's like oh man and she was so excited you know so but that just goes to show how important telling your story is and here's somebody who wasn't probably super comfortable being recorded or being interviewed but once you got her going she had all these stories to tell yeah yeah it was just, it was just awesome to see her you know she just just about come running up to me in, <laughs> in Walmart and is like Mike hollering my name and you got to come back to my house I thought of so many things that I want to share yeah that kind of that kind of knowledge that you only get from living on the land for 70 80 90 decade er, years mm -hmm. that kind of knowledge really is spe it, you just can't get it any other way. And, and Western science is certainly no replacement for the, for the type of knowledge that this woman had um, just from living her life and being a part of nature and, and loving the land and, and being part of it. Yeah, so I mean, really it's more than just um, her lifetime. You know, she learned from her grandmother. So really it's about 150 or 200 years of knowledge that you know the the elders have 
you know, so. And, and they learn from their grandmothers and right. their grandmothers learn from their grandmothers. So it, it, it probably goes back a, a few thousand years, really. There's, there's got to be at least a few threads that have, have spanned the generation. Yeah. So that, I mean, that was, for me, that was like the most um, awesome part of the whole developing our plan was visiting with the elders. I, well, you know, I've been working with ITEP and putting on climate change adaptation workshops throughout the country and in Canada and down in the Pueblos. And, and one, one elderly lady told me at one of those workshops, she said, never ask an elder to interview. Tell them you want to visit. She said, if I, if you was to ask me, uh, you know, can I interview you about climate change? She said, I'd tell you there's the door. And uh, she said, now ask them if they would like to visit. So that's basically what I, what I did. I went and did elder visits. Uh, so, the, and those visits, I mean, they, you know, we talked for hours about, you know, not really nothing to do with climate change, but. Uh, you know, for them, it's like they're just reminiscing about the old days, you know, and they they just thought that was awesome. Oh, I bet. I bet that's nice to hear that. And ITEP, that's the Institute of Tribal Environmental Professionals? Yeah. Okay. Well, I appreciate you sharing your lessons learned and, and some of your stories and your, your real enthusiasm for this Eagles program. And um, when it comes like, to bring it full circle, when you started talking with me here, you mentioned how hard it is to implement uh, a climate adaptation plan. So creating the plan is hard enough, but then when it comes to implementation, where are you going to get the money and the capacity? But something like this Eagles program is going to have lasting impacts for generations. It's going to get a street named after you sometime, <laughs> local fame or international fame. And it, but it's something that's discreet. It's something that we can do at the community level. And you've already seen in just a year and a half, it went from the community level to the international level. So well done. Yeah. Well, you know, the other thing that that's, has happened that I really didn't plan is that the kids that are involved in the Eagles program are a lot of those kids that kind of fall through the cracks, right? So they're the ones that um, they're not playing basketball, they're not playing baseball, and they might have some problems and issues in school. They're struggling. And here's something that comes along that, hey, I can do that. That's not hard. I can, you know, I can pick up recycling. I can do this. So that's, that's kind of what has happened over the last year and a half since we started this is we're, we're bringing in a lot of those kids that are not really involved in, you know, other things. The other thing that I think we're is really sad is that we're seeing a lot of teenage suicide uh, all over i mean it's just uh in the last couple of months there's probably been three or four kids that have taken their own lives on our reservation and it's like oh my god you know when i was younger i never heard of anybody doing that or you know very very seldom and you know I'm, i was talking to some of the other people on the committee and it's like what when did we when did that become a choice you know when did suicide suicide become a choice for these kids and it's like so um so we did the muscle walk uh we're planning on a suicide prevention walk that the kids are gonna do and they're gonna i'm, I'm putting together like this pledge thing a pledge sheet when you become an eagle then you pledge 
that you will never, that's not going to be an option for you, that we are going to, you know, do the best that we can to, uh, you know, basically, like I said, save the world, you know, do our part. We're going to do our best. So, you know, that's part of the whole thing, too. That's amazing. Do you, you ever talk about food security or food vulnerability where you are? Well, part of part of our uh, climate change advisory council. Uh, in fact, next week we have our monthly meeting, and the whole focus of that meeting is on food sovereignty and first foods, and how do we, you know, one of the things we are historically we were not a culture, you know, a, a an agricultural type tribe. We didn't grow plants. We were hunter gatherers, so trying to teach tribes and you have to think about that you know across the country the whole the whole country is that a lot of tribes and it's only been what a couple hundred years so it's not like um, that long ago that we were hunter-gatherers most of us continue that um, that tradition uh, so a lot of us did not plant gardens uh, but in the light of what's going on in the world and you know, with the foods and all that stuff, uh, you know, absolutely more people are going to be planting gardens. Seemed like when we was younger, um, I don't know about you, but uh, when I was younger anyway, we, everybody had a garden in the backyard, you know, and we, uh, the best carrots in the whole world were carrots that you just dug out of the ground and still had a little bit of dirt on them. You just wiped them on your shirt and ate it, you know, right there. But so that's kind of the hope in, um, you know, getting back to some of that gardening. And, and my, my whole thing about that is, is that it ain't just going to be um, mom and dad or, you know, mom's garden or dad's or whoever. It's going to be mom, dad, uncle, grandpa, grandma, and all the kids in the garden, you know. So making it kind of a fun thing and making a, a community thing. And the, the problem that has happened on the reservation over the years is that people have started community gardens. And for whatever reason, they become like Susie's garden or Paul's garden or, you know, somebody ends up taking care of the garden. It's kind of like Henny Penny, right? Uh, Henny Penny grew the wheat. Henny Penny thrashed the wheat. Henny Penny ground the wheat, Henny Penny made the bread, and then everybody was at Henny Penny's door knocking some bread. Uh, but she did all the work. So it's just trying to get everybody engaged and, um, you know, trying to bring that back. And working with the kids, I think, is really going to make that difference. Last summer in August, I w had a Landscape Conservation Cooperative meeting in Dawson City, Yukon. We were graciously hosted by the Trondek Quichin First Nation, and they took us out to their First Nations farm school. And it, it's a school in the Yukon, outside of Dawson City, teaching people from all sorts of backgrounds, not just First Nations kids, but for anybody who's interested, how to farm the land. And if you think about how far north that is, it's not a traditional farming area just given the climate, but the climate has changed so much already in the last 100 years that now it's being suitable for farming. So this resource that this First Nation is able to supply for the entire community can 
really do so much for the food security of that region and for the economic prosperity of the Trondequichen First Nation. And they had everyone from high school students to professional chefs out there learning how to farm the land. So then did, did they be, become like, well, we, I think what I've seen a program where they did, uh, you could become a master gardener. Oh, yeah. You know, so that would be awesome if, you know, people, you, you go through this program and you become a master, because I can't grow, yeah. you know, peas or whatever. It's like. Uh, yeah, well, that's actually a good point. The, the cooperative extension in your region, in order to become a master gardener, you have to volunteer and give back to the community so many hours. So I bet you could get a master gardener or two out there and really involve he or she in your program. Yeah, um, I don't know if, if you guys, if they thought about this, but I want to work with the USDA. They have a program, and I, I've been talking with the guy that at home. Uh, we want to put up high tunnels so that we can grow food all year round. So those high tunnels, I don't know if you're familiar with those. So it would be uh, in buried in the ground, actually, about three feet. So you're below the frost you know the frost level or uh, for us it's in it and you can grow crops in those all year round so it keeps it cool in the summer and uh, warmer in the winter so I don't know and then on hay bales and most of our stuff we were looking at um, raised bed gardens because the geology of the reservation is such that you know there's a lot of gravel a lot of porous uh, soil. I mean, there's some good soil, but for most people and, you know, for elders especially, it's hard to get down, yeah. you know, on the ground. So the kids are actually going into the community and saying, uh, auntie or uncle, do you guys want a garden? We'll help you. So they're going to help build some uh, raised bed gardens for those folks. Yeah. And then, oh, uh, <laughs> if you go on the missionfarmwall.com, it's on YouTube. Uh, the, the school has actually put in, St. Ignatius School has put in two hydroponic gardens. So there, one is in the elementary lunchroom and the other is in the middle school, one of the, the science classroom. And the uh, Hot Springs School is doing aquaponic garden with uh, aquariums and stuff like that. So that's something that they're, they're starting. Because when we first talked to them about gardening, it's like, well, when people are just planting their gardens is when kids are getting out of school for the summer, and they're all going every which way, um, you know, baseball camps and doing doing different things. So it's like, well, who's going to take care of the garden? It's going to be Susie's garden again, right? Uh, so it's just getting them engaged and then um, taking advantage of some of the uh, youth work programs, the summer youth programs that the tribe does have and then getting you know, groups of kids uh, to work in each community to help people do the gardens. So that's exciting. And, and when you think about the meaning of the word adaptation, you know, doing something different because our conditions are changing and so we're changing our behavior or some aspect of our, of our livelihoods or the foods that we eat to match the new reality. That's exactly what you're describing here because you're saying you weren't a traditionally farming society mm -hmm. but you are you're going to start now because it's going to allow the the people who live on the reservation more security they're not they're not relying on food coming from the grocery stores as much they're gonna be much more self-sustainable 
And just the cost. I mean, I've seen a, a program, I think it was on YouTube before, about you know how much it costs for people to get good, healthy food. You know, and if you go to McDonald's, you can get a, you know, off the dollar menu, you could get a burger for a dollar. So what do you, if you only, if you're on a fixed income, you know what, how, how you really don't have a, much of a choice. But if you learn how to, to do the garden, then, then you do have some choice in, in what you're, at, you have a choice in what you're growing and, you know, what you're producing. So, yeah. And then you're also connected back to the land. And, and connecting generations too, if it really is a family effort. Right. Are you in the process of looking for partners to help either fund what you're doing on, on your reservation or to take this gardening program bigger? We're always looking for partners. Uh, you know, I, I brag about the, uh, the climate change advisory committee that we have is made up of not just tribal program people, but I have um, folks from the Fish and Wildlife Service, from the National Park Service, from the Wilderness Society, the, the GNLCC, the Great Northern Landscape uh, Cooperative, and I mean, they're just a multi multitude of people that I have invited to be a part of this committee. So that's that's that networking, and that's that you know expand or you know looking for different partnerships. That partnership is basically there, it, and everybody's like, you know, trying to figure out how do we get this done together. Well, that's great. Well, I really appreciate your time, and it's and it's great seeing you again. I'll, after think, I'll think of a lot of stuff later on. Yeah, well, I'm here all week. <laughs> if you have requests on topics for future episodes, please let us know. If you would like us to feature your work on adaptation, transformation or sustainability solutions, we would love to hear from you. Look for more episodes of Climate Hot Seat on 21sustainability.com. Climate change isn't something that one person or one country is going to solve alone. But by working together, we can not only solve present challenges, but we can create a more just, equitable world to live in at the same time. This is a 21 Sustainability production. Editing by Jason Mitson. Music by Lee Rosevere. Follow me on Twitter, at Professor Sesser.